Welcome to the Dwell Church Sermon Archive. Dwell is a family defined by the love of God and committed to giving it away. Here is this week's message. Thank you, uh, everyone, for being here today. Memorial Day. Wow. Uh, you guys made it in. I'm very proud of you. Thank you guys for joining us. Um, today, we have a lot of work to do, so we're going to jump right in. Uh, today, we here in this room need to fix evangelism. So be ready. Uh, I'm putting you to task. For those of you guys who don't know, evangelism is kind of like a 10-cent word for sharing the good news of Jesus. In fact, uh, this word that we will see today as gospel is actually euangelion in the Greek, uh, which is something good to impress your friends with because uh, it sounds kind of cool. Uh, that word has gotten translated and sort of passed down through the years. There's actually a beautiful sort of French de- derivation of it called Evangeline, and also there's a beautiful little girl named Evangeline uh, in our church. Uh, this is a very important word uh, to me and our family. And uh, it also is the same root of the word evangelism. And that is what we have to fix today. And here's why. Uh, in this room, there are probably many different feelings about evangelism. There's probably different things that sort of pop into your mind, into your head, or into your heart as you are uh, thinking about that word. Um, it simply, very simply means telling people the good news of Jesus. So euangelion just means good news. And so evangelism is sort of the act of sharing that good news. Uh, but a lot of us have different sort of thoughts around like what that is and what that means. I think best case, a lot of us kind of like think, well, I should do that. You know, that is something that I should do. And maybe you feel bad when you're not doing it. Uh, maybe you do it infrequently and that is kind of that, right? Like that's like sort of the best that you can sort of get to. Maybe uh, for many of us, we're like, I feel like I should do that, but I'm kind of terrified to do that. And I don't want to talk about this kind of stuff with people. It makes me feel uncomfortable. Maybe you're thinking, I'm not even sure that I should share the gospel with people. I mean, more and more, um, and in fact, I think I read a a study a few years ago, I'm probably going to get the number wrong, but uh, it was something like in the 40 percentile of like, or 40 percent of millennial Christians believe that it is not good to actually share the gospel with people who don't know it, that it is actually potentially harmful for their friends and neighbors. And maybe that's you in this room today. Maybe you're sitting here and you're thinking like, Dude, I'm not even sure how I feel about Jesus. I don't even know about this Christianity thing. I only came because you guys were meeting in a movie theater. I thought this was Bob's Burgers, and I have been very disappointed, but feel like I can't walk out. And I have lifted my order card, and no one has brought me popcorn yet, and I am super sad. Man, if that is you, uh, first off, welcome. Uh, That's a completely fine way to feel. Uh, Also, don't feel like you have to do evangelism if you don't know how you feel about Jesus yet. Go ahead and take that off your plate, right? It'd be really weird if you're marching around, and you're like, I don't know about Jesus, but you should check him out. He might be good for you, right? Like, that would be a strange thing to do. Uh, So uh, there's lots of different feelings about it. I have even complex feelings about it. So I grew up in the church. Uh, I grew up in a very, very fine church that I have uh, a lot of very fond memories of. And uh, when I was in uh, high school, uh, we got trained in this thing called FAITH. It was an acronym. I'm not really sure what it is now. I cannot remember. Uh, but, uh, we went around and we would do door to door evangelism. Anybody ever done door to door evangelism? I I look back on that and I think how strange, uh, I think, you know, some dude is sitting there, he's at home, uh, it's after work. He's, you know, sipping on a cold one, watching the Braves play on TBS or something like that. 
and he's sitting there just enjoying his evening when all of a sudden he gets a knock on the door, which is always a good thing, right? Like, don't you guys love getting a knock on the door? And you're like, ooh, who's it going to be? Maybe it's a Jehovah's Witness, and we're going to have an interesting and awkward conversation. Maybe it's a guy trying to sell me windows or something or solar for my house, potentially. Uh, maybe it's people that are asking for money for dogs or something like that. Like, won't this be a fun adventure? Who's coming to my door? And you open up the door, and there is an acne-filled 15-year-old Josh Cook who weighs 25 pounds and has a squeaky voice. And he says, hey, uh, I know that you're, you know, easily double my age. And I know that you think previously that your life was going all right, but I have a metaphysical reality to share with you right now. And I am just the person to do it. Now, look, I am like trashing this thing really hard. Uh, We even saw people come to faith through this method, which is bizarre, right? Like totally bonkers that that would even happen. I mean, it's probably more on the good news than it definitely is on us. But man, how strange is that? And I think, uh, and I, I could be making a wild assumption. I think for many of us, especially if you're sort of a part of my generation or younger, Uh, You think maybe that's what evangelism is, and I have no interest in doing that, right? Uh, I do not want to do that at all. And so I think what's ended up happening is, uh, at least in my own life, so I can't speak for you, I can speak for me. I think what's ended up happening is we have a lot of complex feelings about what is good, what is helpful, uh, how can we sort of be a part of society, how can we be like tolerant and accepting of other people, but at the same time trying to like share this good news with them, how can we do it in ways that makes us feel like this is authentic and natural, but not sort of, you know, strange and weird, like how can we do that? And so what ends up happening is we, we pile all of these questions on our mind. Like, was that right when I did it this way? Is it right to do it this way? Do I need to do it this way? When, when All these things. They pile, 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 and they push us further and further and further down, and we're sort of carrying the weight of all of those questions. And what ends up happening, at least in my own life, is just because I have all of those weird and complex thoughts about what this actually is, I tend to use that as an excuse to sort of not tell anyone this good news. To just sort of like keep it to myself. Like Jesus is very important to me. My entire life is invested in this. And yet when I'm talking with somebody who doesn't know Jesus, I'm talking about the weather and sports and all these other things that are here today and gone tomorrow. And Jesus hardly ever comes up. And here's the truth. Uh, today, Jesus talks a lot about evangelism. So we've got to do something with it. And I think people are changing, cultures are changing. That's just something that's natural. It's happened in every generation of the church before us. And I think there's just not an option to not do anything with it. If you call yourself a follower of Jesus, man, it is tough to just read or hear something that Jesus said or did and just be like, well, that's kind of weird. I'm not really sure what to do with that and just move on with your life, right? So here's what we're going to do. We're going to jump into this. This is the beginning of Jesus's ministry. We're hopefully going to sort of rework the way that we think about evangelism. We're going to release ourselves from preconceived notions about what sharing Jesus looks like and free ourselves just to do what Jesus says that we ought to do and what Jesus models for us today in our passage. So our goal here is not that we would find something. I want to be clear on this. It's not that we would find something that makes us comfortable because maybe that's not what we're called to do, but it is that we would find something that would allow us to be who Jesus made us to be and to do what he made us to do. 
So just to be clear, we're not sort of breaking this down to just be like, okay, we're going to find the easy way, the millennial way of evangelism. We'll just tweet at people or something. No, tweet, Twitter is dead, actually. Rayanna makes fun of me all the time for that. But, uh, you know, like whatever that is, we're just like, I'm going to find this easy route. It's going to make me feel comfortable and happy and it's going to be great. That's not an option maybe on the table. What The only option really is on the table is doing what Jesus says and being who Jesus has made us to be. So let's jump in. Today's passage in Matthew is a synopsis. So a lot of times in like narrative works, especially around this time as people were writing things, they would take just a little section and just be like, here's what was happening. So if you've been tracking Matthew so far, birth of Jesus. Well, before that we had uh, the genealogy. Then we had birth of Jesus, uh, wise man, wise men, that whole thing. Uh, then he goes, he gets baptized by John the Baptist. Then he goes out into the wilderness and is tempted for 40 days. And then this is sort of like the very beginning of his ministry. And, and I really want to make sure that you see all of this because, you know, sometimes narrative gets a little confusing because basically what Matthew is saying here is like, hey, I'm going to tell you a bunch of other stories about Jesus. We still got 20 chapters, 20 something chapters to go after this. I'm going to tell you all of these things. I'm going to be very explicit. Like this is what Jesus said. Here is a line that Jesus said. But here in these three little like paragraphs, these three little sections, I'm going to tell you what Jesus was doing when I'm not telling you he's doing anything else. So it's like, this is just ongoing work. This is what Jesus was doing all the time uh, in between Sermon on the Mount, in between these other stories that we're about to, to go through over the next little while. So let's jump in. Jesus begins. He begins, if you see that little first section there, uh, it sort of culminates in verse 17. He begins by saying, from that time on, it says, Jesus began to preach, saying, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now, we talked a few weeks ago about John calling people to repentance. And if you remember, John was actually saying this exact same thing. And here Jesus picks up that same exact call. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. And this is one of my absolute favorite themes in all of scripture. The kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God. Now, uh, don't get those two sort of phrases confused. They actually sort of mean the same thing. So uh, heaven uh, used in this context kind of just means like the place where God keeps his things, uh, the place of God, the place that he sort of owns. And so the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, you can use those two things interchangeable. Uh, Matthew prefers the kingdom of heaven. This kingdom that Jesus is saying is at hand. He's saying it is near. It is right in front of you. It is coming to you. But we have to ask ourselves, what does that mean? What is the kingdom of God? What is the kingdom of heaven? Well, um, you can actually write this down if you had a nifty notebook. I feel like I'm just Sesame Streeting this thing all the time, right? If you have a notebook that you're writing down themes in, perhaps you would run and write down the kingdom of God. But the kingdom of God is very simply this, the recognized rule and reign of Jesus. The recognized rule and reign of Jesus. You like that little our alliteration there, right? Isn't that nice? The recognized rule and reign of Jesus. Uh, think of it. This is kind of tricky. Language gets kind of confusing. I love it. You know, like all the time pastors are like, well, if we go back into the Greek, this could have actually had three meanings. And we're like, isn't it nice that English only has one meaning? No, uh, English is even more complex than Greek was. So uh, here we have a, we have trouble thinking of this as a word. So when you hear the word kingdom, you might be thinking like castle and stuff like that. That's not necessarily it. You also might be thinking, Thinking uh, a sort of like place, 
right? Like you might be thinking like, here's his kingdom. There's a kingdom over there. There's a kingdom over here. Don't think about that. Think of it more like a rule, which brings us up to another terribly complex English word, right? So it's not a rule like the Ten Commandments might be rules, right? It's not a rule like uh, here's a rule of thumb or anything like that. It is a recognized rule, a reign, if you want to think. And not like horses have reins, but man, I'm just really getting lost in this. Do you see how complex this is, right? So this is like the recognized sort of like ruling capacity of God. Uh, So you would say a king has a kingdom, right? And so uh, that's not necessarily a statement on location as much as it's saying this king is in charge of this kingdom. And so this is the recognized rule and reign of Jesus. It is saying that the kingdom of God is what he is over and in charge of, which is everything. It is a day when everyone will once again know who is in charge and in control of the universe. And in that day, justice will be served. Jesus will be rightly glorified. And everything will be made right again. Now we might, we might call this heaven. And that's probably not a bad description. But I think it's kind of missing some of the nuance and some of the beauty of this very passage and this very very phrase. You see, heaven in our minds is typically associated uh, with just a place where like Christians go and everyone else goes to hell or stays here if they're still alive or whatever that is. But if you understand this really, this kingdom of heaven picture and what Jesus is saying by it being at hand, he's saying that one day he will return and usher in a new heaven and a new earth. This sort of kingdom ruling that he is going to usher in, uh, this is at hand. It is near to the people that he's talking to. And he's saying in that day, all things will be reconciled to him. Uh, you can see that this kingdom of God is sort of like a new era. And he's saying like, this is coming. So I think, you know, typically we think of heaven and hell as like, they're just hanging out over here. They're here. You know, you can make this binary choice and then, you know, either way you're going to end up in one of those places. And Jesus is saying like, no, the end of all history is going to end with the kingdom of God, with me sort of ushering that in as this new era where my rule over the universe, my reign over the universe is fully recognized by everyone who is alive, by everyone who is there. That is the new world. That is the new future. And this whole world is heading towards this kingdom of God. And all we really get to decide is whether or not we want to be in it or outside of it. That is the choice that is facing us. And Jesus is saying it is here, it is at hand. Now, it was at hand because of the, something that we call the now and not yet nature of the kingdom. So think of that, the now slash not yet nature of the kingdom. This is an interesting theme throughout the New Testament, and it kind of gives a lot of understanding and clarity to what Jesus is saying here. He says uh, that what is happening is the kingdom of God is at hand. He's saying that the introduction of himself into the story of all of human history actually changes the ending of human history. He's saying, because I am here standing in front of you, the kingdom of God is now very, very near to you. But that was 2,000 years ago. We haven't ushered in this, like we don't look around and see sort of the recognized rule and reign of Jesus as we're looking around at the world around him. So what does it actually mean? Well, that's where the now and not yet understanding really comes in. What Jesus is doing and what he's saying right now is he's saying, because I am here, I have already guaranteed the ending of the story. Because I am here, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. 
sort of like closing on a house, but not yet moving in. It's kind of like winning the final battle, but not yet getting the enemy to sign a surrender. The war is over, but it's not official yet. It hasn't taken hold yet. It's kind of like getting engaged, but not yet getting married. Living in that kind of weird space where you're like, well, we're much more than dating, but we're not yet anything, you know, we're not yet actually married. But Jesus, what he is doing here, you think about this in sort of like the timeline of all of history is like him coming to earth and dying on the cross for the sins of humanity is kind of like an engagement ring on the kingdom of God. He is saying like, hey, because of what I have done today, that is going to be the end result of all of humanity. That is going to be the end result of where sort of human history is headed. And it was at hand because he had come. Now, the reason why all of this is important is because we know that Jesus's very simple message was just repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So in Matthew's synopsis, when he's saying like, this is what Jesus is walking around saying, he says, this is what, this is what he was saying. This is what he was saying in between all the things that I'm telling you that he is actually saying. Man, that sounded like a Yogi Berra sentence or something like that. Jesus said this a lot is all I really want to say. And in verse 23, later on in this very passage, Matthew refers to this as the gospel of the kingdom. The gospel of the kingdom. Now, for those of you guys who are super churchy, you should recognize something from this, right? When Jesus shared the gospel, what was he saying? So especially if you, like me, you grew up in the church, maybe you had some like evangelism training or something like that. We know what the gospel is, right? It's that Jesus died on the cross. He was raised on the third day for our sins. Uh, and uh, we, uh, we know that that is the gospel, And yet, it says here that Jesus was walking around sharing the good news, the gospel of the kingdom. Now, I find it very unlikely, and we use this word gospel, and I'm not saying that we've destroyed it, but I find it very unlikely that Jesus was walking around and he's like, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand, and also I'm going to die a little while from here, and on the third day I'm going to be raised, and uh, then I'm going to come back from the grave. Now, he definitely told that to people. It was definitely a thing. But I think it should at least give us a little bit of pause about like, what is this gospel that we are sharing? And is it the same gospel that Jesus was sharing? So I think what we're seeing here is the message, what Jesus was literally saying is, hey, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. There's something new. There's something different. Now we know, because we have the benefit of history, that later on Jesus would die and that, was what, that would be what would usher in this new kingdom. And so that is still very much appropriate as our understanding of the gospel, But Jesus talking to the people right in front of him, he's saying the good news, the gospel is that the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It is near to you. It's good news. Repent, turn from your ways, turn from your other kingdoms because the good news is that a better kingdom is here. I think as it pertains to our understanding about evangelism and just the way that we relate to people who don't yet know Jesus, it's kind of weird that we don't talk this way. Like, it's kind of weird that this hasn't entered our, like, Christian imagination or sort of the way that we communicate with other people. You know, when things are hard and the world is bad, uh, we tend to just sort of, like, pick up the same sort of platitudes as everyone else. Like, ooh, I'm sorry. That's hard. I kind of love and hate that phrase. You ever have somebody say that? Like, you just had a terrible day. They go, ooh, that's hard. Go, yeah, I know. That's what I was just talking about. I know it was hard. I lived it. It was bad. We say, oh, man, I hate that for you. What, what does that do for you, right? It's like somebody saying they're, they're, it's the opposite of someone saying they're so happy for you. 
you're like, well, thanks. Well, glad my joy brought you joy. And so this is the opposite. Like my sadness brings you, I guess that's better. I don't know. Maybe I'm a sociopath. Maybe you people like that. I don't know. People say, man, that's, that's tough. Whew. That's tough. Now those aren't bad, but they're not good news either. Not going to change anybody's life. They're good things for friends to say, you know, make us feel nice. But man, in a world that is really, 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 truly not great sometimes, in a world that is truly awful, I mean, are these platitudes going to do anything for us? This week, uh, we had yet another school shooting, and I don't want to, you know, I'm always reluctant to, like, hijack the sermon with whatever was happening in the news lately, but man, the past, like, three years, hasn't it felt like every week it's not just, like, let's hijack the sermon, it's been like something has happened and we need to talk about it, right? Like, so last week we had yet another school shooting, this time at an elementary school, something so heinous, something so terrible that it feels like it has, like, captured all of our minds, it's all we can think about, it's all we can talk about, it's just all over the news, man, and it is just... It is awful. If you needed evidence that our world was like screwed up, man, here it is uh, live for us to be able to watch and to pick apart and to dive into and read and doom scroll and all of these other things. And it causes us to respond. It's so awful. We have to have a response to it, right? Man, is it good news that we can like send good vibes their way? Thoughts and prayers. It's not good news. Is it good news that this can cause us to restart the gun debate? Is that exciting? Isn't that fun? Like, woohoo, man, good news. Good news. We can turn this into another weird political football. Let's, let's do that. No. Now, here's the good news. The good news is that even in light of something so heinous, so evil as this, it won't always be that way. It won't be like that forever. Living in modern day America, it feels like we are just waiting for the next thing to hit because something awful follows something awful, something follows something awful, and it won't be like that forever. That is good news, people. It's good news that there's a God who is just and who is going to make all things right. It is good news that there is a God who is love, who will comfort those who seek him. And the best news of all, and something that I need to preach to myself, and something that my neighbors who don't know Jesus are probably desperately waiting to hear, is that there is a better kingdom than this. Look, it sounds pie in the sky. Maybe it sounds a little like escapist to sort of think on this. But man, if you are a follower of Jesus and you believe in this kingdom of God that he's saying that is near at hand, man, when something awful happens, the first thing our minds and even our mouths ought to run to is that there is a better kingdom than this. And isn't just that little phrase just like salve to your soul? And somehow, in the power and sovereignty of God, that kingdom is going to be so good that it is going to make up for all the terrible that has happened here on earth.
And here's the thing. If you truly believe this, then it is so much better than any other news that we can be giving to our friends and neighbors. It's so much better news than so much else we could say to each other. Jesus is inviting you not just to believe this, but also to continue sharing it with him. Let's move on. In verse 18, I love this. This is the most underrated story. I love all of the details that are missing from this story that I just, I want to know so badly. It says, uh, while walking by the Sea of Galilee, saw two brothers, Simon, who's called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on from there, he saw two brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets, and he called them. Immediately they left their boat and their father and followed him. Now, I have a million questions. Now, luckily, I don't have to ask the question, uh, who was James' father, right? We get Zebedee twice in this thing. But Matthew cannot even, like, spend an extra second telling us, like, did they have a conversation? I mean, literally, like, these guys are fishing. They're mending their nets. This crazy guy walks up on the shore, and he's like, hey, follow me. I'll make you fishers of men. And they're like, yeah, right. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, that sounds about right, you know? I love it, too. They left their boats, uh, which was probably an important asset, right? These guys were kind of like business owners. I know uh, there's sort of this picture that we have of the disciples of they were all, like, ignorant and dumb and poor and stuff. And they definitely weren't in, like, the upper echelons of society. But they were, like, running a business here. And they left some of their, like, major assets, an important one for their business. Uh, They left their father, Zebedee, probably an important asset for their family, right? Uh, We also don't get any more picture of Zebedee, right? Jesus walks up, and he's like, Hey guys, do you guys want to follow me? I'll make you fishers of men. And they're like, deuces. And Zebedee's sitting there in the boat like, well, where did these guys go? You know, like he's just left behind, hanging out there. All we know that Jesus said to them was, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Kind of made me imagine what would happen, you know, Jesus coming to some of our jobs. If he said this to us, right? You're like, uh, you're like a dental hygienist or something. And he walks in and he's like, follow me and I will make you a cleaner of the plaque of men's souls. Right? For accountants, he's like, follow me and I will make you the balance sheet reconcilers of men. Something like that. Nobody liked that one. <laughs> I have 12 more. I hope you guys are ready. <laughs> For daycare workers, follow me and I will make you clean the diapers of men. That one kind of has a different meaning. I don't know if it's really the same thing necessarily. And I know daycare workers are more important than that. Uh, It's important to recognize here that Jesus is calling his first disciples, and it was centered around something. So watch. He says, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. It's not just like, hey, you should follow me, right? Like, that's definitely a part of it. He's saying, hey, stick with me, do what I do, go where I go, be with me, that kind of stuff. But there's this other component of it. And I think a lot of times we kind of just, like, stop at the first part. We're like, all right, so I should follow Jesus. So there's like a personal spiritual devotion component to that. There's some spiritual practice. I need to do what Jesus did. I need to do what Jesus says that we should do. I need to do those things. That's what following Jesus is. But that's only half of that sentence, right? The other part is by being a fisher of men. Or put another way, following Jesus without sharing Jesus is not really following Jesus. And this is going to be a theme throughout the book of Matthew. In fact, uh, 
If you had a notebook and you were writing down themes, you would probably want to write down something like following Jesus without sharing Jesus, not really following Jesus. There's my other Sesame Street moment for the day. In fact, uh, Matthew's gospel is where we get the clearest picture of this. In fact, we get the clearest picture of the Great Commission in Matthew's gospel. Where in concluding his time on earth, this is what Jesus says to his disciples in Matthew 28, 18 through 20. It says, and Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all I have commanded to you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Now I know we're going through the book of Matthew and I'm sorry for the spoilers. That is the end of the book of Matthew. And I want you to notice something really, really important here. Matthew goes out of his way to show us that the first thing that Jesus tells his disciples is that they should become fishers of men. And the last thing that he tells his disciples is that they should go out and share the gospel with others and to make disciples so that they might know the good news. Matthew is showing us that as Jesus is calling his disciples, the first and the last thing that he says to them is that you should share this good news message with other people. If we are followers of Jesus, if we are disciples of Jesus, this should really, really, really cause us to think about how seriously and how much importance we put on this in our own lives. It should tell us a few things about being a disciple of Jesus. The first one is talking about Jesus should be normal. This should be something as normal as going to church on a Sunday. It should be something as normal as any other personal spiritual discipline that you have in your own life. Uh, This was the very first thing that he told his disciples. The only thing they knew about him at this point was that they were going to follow him and tell other people about him. This is something that is going to be huge for our generation. We are so scared sometimes to even like out ourselves as Christians. Have you ever been in this situation and you're like talking to somebody and you can tell the conversation's heading that way? I mean, I'm a pastor, so I sort of have to out myself a little bit early, but you just, you never know how people are going to react. And it feels scary. We'll talk about all kind of nonsense that doesn't matter, things that we don't really know about. We'll weigh in on like geopolitical strategy and all kinds of things that we have no control over. And then we'll listen to our weird friends talk about spiritual experiences they had when they were on mushrooms, right? Like just complete bonker stuff. You've been in this story before, right? Like somebody's like, yeah, man, I'm really into crystals. And we, because we're kind and generous people, we're like, yeah, man, tell me more about that. And then we're like, I am a Christian, right? As if we're like embarrassed by it. You ever notice that? Like the more bonkers that your spiritual experience is, the more likely you are to talk about it. And then here we have something that I believe is the only truth in the universe, and I'm scared to talk about it. He affects a great deal of my life. My entire life is bent around serving Jesus and his kingdom. And then when it comes to a conversation, I I don't want to make things awkward. I don't want to feel uncomfortable in this. Talking about Jesus should be something that is normal for us. Secondly, talking about Jesus is actually good for you. Which of Jesus' commands are not actually something that is helpful and meaningful for our lives? I mean, think about that. All these things that Jesus calls us to do, he really is directing us to them for our ultimate good. Why would this command to go out and be fishers of men or go out and make disciples be any different for us? Maybe talking about Jesus is actually something that is good for you and for me. 
like Jesus Christ designed Christianity, right? Then we named it after him, right? So he laid out this entire thing. He's calling his first disciples. And he says, hey, you're going to go out and share my good news. Then he's going up into heaven. And the last thing he wants them to know is, hey, you're going to go out and share my good news. Maybe it's something good for us. Maybe like understanding what it means to be a follower of Jesus requires this. I was actually uh, talking to one of my friends who doesn't know Jesus once. And he was asking the question like, well, you know, like, I'm not sure if I understand all this sort of like, you know, this grand story. I don't know about, you know, heaven and hell and all this other stuff. Uh, but what does it actually like do for you today? And I seriously, I had to like sit back and think for a long time because I was like, well, I don't want to say to him that like praying to Jesus is kind of like this genie and then Jesus steps in and does stuff for me. That's not how this works, right? And I also don't want to boil it down to some sort of like feel goody kind of nonsense, you know, like, Oh, you know, Jesus is just my friend, and so it's good, right? And what ended up happening is I sort of processed out loud and rambled round and round and was just sort of authentic, and I was just like, hey, here are things that I understand, here are things that I don't understand. And I realized that what I was actually doing was holding these disparate ideas in my head that I would have never had to think through were it not for someone who did not know Jesus actually asking me a question about it. I walked away from that, under, that conversation understanding how Jesus does actually practically make my life and my world better around me in a more clear way than I had even before that conversation. I think in some ways, in sharing Jesus more, we have the opportunity to know him more. The third thing that this should remind us of, and this is something that we should carry with us all the time, is how will they know if you do not tell them? And we tend not to think about things that are difficult for us. And it's a heavy and it's a weighty thing to think that people might spend an eternity outside this kingdom of God. That people without hearing and accepting this good news will spend an eternity separated from a God that loves them, from a God that died from them or for them. Man, let's just take like a moment and let the weight of that thought just sort of like sit on us. I know we try and avoid it. We, you know, we want to just sort of good vibes only. We want to only think about good things. We want to keep it light and positive. But man, if there is a God and if Jesus is real and if he died for our sins so that we can be in the kingdom of heaven with him, then we have to believe that he is saving us from something, Right? You may have complex and confusing thoughts about hell and what that is, that just even saying that might make you uncomfortable. But man, if you believe in Jesus, then you have to believe that he is rescuing you from something. And if that thought is true, then your best friend that you're hanging out with all the time and you talk about sports or you talk about what's happening in culture or something like that, that person that doesn't yet know Jesus And that is where they are going. Without us being willing to just sort of lean into the discomfort and the potential awkwardness of bringing this up, uh, without us sort of breaking cultural rules of tolerance and what's polite in conversation, that person may never know the only news that is going to rescue them. The only news that has the potential to save them. And may we spend every day 
Maybe it's the first thing that we do when we wake up, just asking and pleading to God on their behalf. Seeking opportunities to share this good news when it presents itself. And may we take some time every day to really just let the weight of that sink in. Let it sit heavy on our hearts. I think we'd be better off for it. Jesus here models not just sharing with his words, but also sharing with his life. He teaches and proclaims the gospel, but that is not all. Uh, In verse 23, it says, And he went throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. So his fame spread throughout all Syria, and they brought him all the sick, those afflicted with various diseases and pains, and those oppressed by demons, and those having seizures and paralytics, and he healed them. Jesus here knew something important, that typically people don't care what you know until they know that you care. So what he was doing was going around sharing this good news of Jesus, but not just telling them about the good news. He was also healing their bodies as he was healing their souls. Think about this. He went around teaching and proclaiming the gospel of, king, of the kingdom and healing. And in a way, he was like, hey, the kingdom of heaven is here. And in this kingdom of heaven, there is going to be no more disease. And people were like, huh. Right? They were like, well, all right. I guess that sounds nice. And he's like, okay, okay, you guys don't get it. Let me show you. Uh, blind guy, come over here. Let me uh, take away your blindness. All right, do you guys get it now? So that's going to be like what the kingdom of heaven is about. So he's actually giving them like a little bit of sample, right? Like he's like a good salesman in this. He's like, the kingdom of heaven, it's going to be better. There's not going to be diseases. In fact, let me heal one right now just to show you it's going to be good. It's going to be good for you. Now we may read these and immediately think, well, those are miracles. That was Jesus. He did a lot of cool things. I can't do that. Well, I don't really know if that's true. Here's what Jesus told his disciples right before dying on the cross. This is John 14, 12. He said, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do and greater works than in these he will do because I am going to the father. This is all sort of centered around Jesus sending Holy Spirit to his disciples and to his followers. And even to those of us who are followers of Jesus today, that same Holy Spirit that Jesus was promising, he's saying, hey, you can do even greater things than me that would have me believe that you could do these things too. But even if you feel like you don't like have the faith for that, like even if you're still sort of like on the fence and, you know, we can have complex questions and conversations about what it means to, to, to bring about healing in today's world. Is there not something that you could do to sort of like be a part of this? Uh, I really like uh, Eugene Peterson. I'm kind of a fanboy, uh, if that's possible. He would hate the fact that I just said that on stage, actually. Uh, but uh, he's gone on to be with Jesus, so I'm pretty sure he's not worried about me. But um, he wrote this version of the Bible. He sort of, uh, you could call it a paraphrase in some ways, but um, it's called the message. And he takes this word, affliction, that you see in verse 23. So there in verse 23, it says, uh, the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. And this is the way that he translates it. He says, the bad result of their bad lives. The bad result of their bad lives. So we tend to not think about sin and sort of things that are working against God's good plan as this, in this terms uh, today, but that is 100% how the people of the time of Jesus and Matthew would have read this, right? There are multiple stories where people are concerned about sin that leads to whatever affliction the person was experiencing, right? Uh, in John 9, actually, Jesus heals a blind man. And the first question that his disciples, so not even people that are outside, these are people that spend most of their time with Jesus. They say, their first question is, who sinned, this man or his parents? 
they had a very direct one-to-one relationship with sin and affliction that was hitting you, right? So the bad result of their bad lives is an affliction that was sitting upon you. Now, I think we might think this is backwards sometimes, but in some way, it must be true. Like at every level, or at some level, every affliction that we face can some ways come back to sin. Now, some are obvious, like when our anger leads to like a broken relationship or our alcoholism leads to losing a job, right? That's something that we did that was against God's good plan for the universe that has resulted in harm for our lives. But even if you bring it back to like cancer and coronavirus and hurricanes and these things uh, that only entered into the world as a result of sin. When Adam and Eve, living in the Garden of Eden, chose to usher in sin to all of humanity, they also brought in all of the afflictions that affect us in our lives. Now, here's what I want you to sort of like, you know, imagine in your own life. What if you, without having to be some sort of miracle worker, without having to help a blind man to see, what if you worked on healing the bad effects of other people's bad lives? So instead of seeing a friend who's experiencing homelessness on the side of the street and debating why he's homeless and what he did right or wrong, what if you actually like tried to help him find a home in some way? Instead of judging that parent who can't get their kid to school on time, maybe offer to take them. You have no control over the right or wrong decisions that they make, but you have a potential to heal the bad effects of their bad lives. Maybe instead of scoffing at that person who cheated or did something wrong and destroyed their relationship, why not share the gospel with them and help them to find hope in Jesus? Here's what Jesus did. He was perfect never sinned, never did anything wrong. And so what he did is he went up to people who did sin, who got stuff wrong all the time, and he got his hands dirty. He touched lepers. He healed the blind, sometimes with his own mud or with his own spit and mud. He was a friend to sinners. He sat with people who were different from him, who were the lowest rungs of society. And he knew all too well the bad results of people's bad decisions and he healed him of it anyway. Healed him of it anyway. And that was very often his inroad into sharing, them, sharing with them the good news of the gospel. He would say, hey, this kingdom is not all there is. There is a better kingdom than this, and I'm going to show it to you right now. You have that same capacity today. Here's what I want to do. Uh, We're actually going to transition into a time of response. So, Ben, you can come on up. All I'm going to ask for you to do right now, I'm not going to set some sort of like, you know, share the gospel with 12 people before you go to lunch or something like that. But I do want to give us some sort of target. But I want you to sit down and set your own target. You and Jesus, over the next few moments, we're going to sing a song. Over the next few moments, I want you to sit down and I want you to set your own target. You and Jesus sit here and ask him how you can be a fisher of men. For some of us, maybe it's still figuring out who Jesus is. 
Like if you've been hearing this and thinking, hey, somebody needs to share this good news with me, man, we would love to talk to you. Talk to me, talk to Cash, uh, talk to lots of different folks here at Dwell. We want to talk to you about this. For some, maybe you just need to have a friend who doesn't believe in Jesus. Maybe you look around at your circles and you're like, everybody that I have a personal relationship with knows Jesus already. Maybe that means that you need to start looking around. Maybe you need to join a club or ask a coworker to grab lunch. For some of us, we need to out ourselves as Christians. You need to be in that conversation and instead of saying, oh, how sad, instead saying, hey, I'll pray for you right here. We need to talk about Jesus until it's normal in our lives. If it's important to us, it needs to be in our vocabulary. For some of us, maybe right now, we need to be thinking about what it looks like to tangibly love another person and to take on their afflictions, to take on the bad result of their bad lives as if it were our own and show them the kingdom of God. And for some, you think, this is exactly what I didn't want to hear, but exactly what I needed to hear. You know already the Holy Spirit is working on you right now in this very moment, saying it is time. It is time to talk to that guy or that girl that you hang out with all the time. It is time to have that awkward conversation. It is time to ask them, hey, we've talked about a lot of different things in our lives. We know each other, but how do you feel about Jesus? Or hey, we talk about a lot of things, but can I tell you what the most important thing is to me? It doesn't have to be some sort of like big presentation. It doesn't have to be some sort of fancy thing. All it is is joining Jesus in his good news work of letting people know that there is a better kingdom out there. Lastly, this may sound a little guilt-inducing, and I want you to know that that is not my intention. You should not walk away feeling like you feel bad about something, and so you're going to share Jesus as a result of that. That is not the goal here. But man, my, my sort of final plea for just some, some time and some space to let God's word actually affect and change is, is if, if you come here to sit in a nice seat and to hear some good music and some sort of like weird third-rate comedy routine, then like we are all wasting our time and our lives. We need to be a people of change to be a people who are deeply affected by the word of God and what it calls us to do and who it calls us to be. So make that change right now. I'm inviting you in this time to respond in a few ways. The first is take some time. Set a goal for yourself for even in this week. It can be small. It doesn't have to be huge. Set a target. Set a goal. Then, after that, I would invite you to take communion. If you're a follower of Jesus, then today uh, celebrate the forgiveness and the good news that he has brought to your life through the taking of communion. The bread symbolizes the body that was broken for you. The juice symbolizes the blood that was shed for you. And we do this weekly in remembrance of him and the good gift that he gave to us. And finally, if you need to talk about something, if you need to process something, if you need someone to pray with you, uh, we're going to have a couple of folks staying right over here under the exit sign. They would love nothing more than to be able to talk and pray with you. So let's pray now. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you, God, that you 
bring good news to our life. God, we thank you for the kingdom of heaven. May we live a life in response to the good news that you have brought to our lives. God, may we be a people who are so deeply affected by your good news that we cannot help but share it with those around us. God, give us courage when we're scared. Give us grace when we mess up. And God, give us the gift of being able to see the fruit of your kingdom taking hold in our friends' and neighbors' lives. God, give us a burden for our friends and neighbors. Give us a burden for people who don't yet know you. God, we love you. We trust you with this in all things. We thank you for loving us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. We hope it brought you closer to Jesus and more in touch with the world around you. Being a Christian in today's culture can be hard. Fortunately, he gives us the gift of community through his church. So we would love to invite you to join us for one of our Sunday morning gatherings or for one of our weekly small groups. All the details you need can be found on our website, dwelldenver.org.